It's your daily dose of all things Gamecocks on the Inside the Gamecocks podcast. Here's J.C. Sherbert. Happy Thursday, Gamecock fans. This is the Inside the Gamecock podcast. J.C. Sherbert, Inside the Gamecocks podcast. That's plural. Uh, Inside the Gamecock podcast. So, nah, I'm uh, glad to be here with you today. Uh, today's show is just kind of kind of be a recap. There was a lot of news yesterday, a lot of um, interesting tidbits flowing out of the Will Muschamp press conference and elsewhere. Uh, I want to start by saying I'm disappointed in the SEC. Uh, I, the ACC and Big Ten both have not only released the opponents for everybody, uh, this morning they released the schedule. That includes Clemson. North Carolina, Notre Dame, all your favorite teams <laughs> from that league. Uh, and um, it's out. And Ohio State, of course, yesterday got a, a big break, at least for the start of the season, from the Big Ten, in my opinion. They're kind of protecting them. One could say the same thing about Clemson, but I also look at kind of, you know, where does Clemson stub their toe if and when they ever do? Or where where could they? I mean, it's a long season, and you know when when you when you have to go to South Bend and Doak Campbell back to back, even though you got an open date between the two, which was you know convenient, right? Um, it's still mildly difficult, and then you got to turn around after playing Pitt at home, and Pitt's kind of a dark horse in the league uh, for Clemson. You know, you, you got to go to Virginia Tech the first weekend in December. If those of you that have been to Blacksburg, Virginia. It can get chilly up there during that time of year. <laughs> um, you know, so two kind of cold weather games, a trip to Tallahassee and then Pitt for the Tigers at the end. Um, you know, the beginning, you know, they start off with Wake Forest, who, you know, Dabo Sweeney's pretty much owned during his career. Then I think they'll play their non-conference game, the Citadel. Uh, and then they get an open week in week three um and then continue to go on I'll, I'll just read you the whole schedule here we're not going to talk about clemson a whole lot because this is not the inside the clemson's podcast this is the inside uh the gamecocks but i know you guys i mean don't lie to me if you if you keep up with another team as much as you keep up with the gamecocks i know it's clemson i mean i know it is you, you pay attention to what they do and you should it's a rivalry even though they're not playing this year um, and the Xavier Thomas information, but he didn't show up for the weigh-in yesterday, although I think nothing will come of it. Uh, I think it's kind of interesting. So Wake Forest, September 12th, in Winston-Salem. Um, then the Citadel. They're probably still going to play the Citadel from what David Hood from TigerNet was telling me the other day. Um, then open date, and then Virginia at home, and then Miami at home, and then at Georgia Tech, which, you know, they're still rebuilding Syracuse at home, BC at home. And then November gets tricky. Like I said, at Notre Dame, another open date at Florida state, Pittsburgh and death Valley. And then at Virginia tech to close out the season. Be interesting if Virginia tech's kind of a top two team in the league. And those two teams play December 5th for first place and then turn right back around. Cause there's no divisions this year. And play in Charlotte for the title. That will be that'll be sort of weird, um, and it'll be interesting to see the strategy in that game too. Do you rest your starters? I mean, what what do you do? Um, so anyway, that's uh, that's their schedule. But I'm just disappointed in the Southeastern Conference. I mean, you're you're the SEC. You know what football means. You know a lot of people in the South are going through a hard time in your footprint. 
with your universities. Will Muschamp mentioned this yesterday, that one of the worst things about it is the uncertainty. Uh, and, and I realize that we're still kind of in an uncertain situation, but I just think it makes people feel a little better when you know, okay, you know, you can sit there and talk about the schedule and who's playing who and all that good stuff. I, I just – I don't understand the secrecy and hesitancy um, and, and and why uh, these other leagues keep getting a jump. I mean, there's no reason why Clemson should have all their opponents and their complete schedule um, ready to roll. And I know they're starting earlier, but the Pac-12 starting earlier too, or later too, like the SEC, and they have their schedule done. Um, so I, I don't understand – you know, to me – I felt like the entire, like, we're going to wait as long as possible thing was, well, we're going to wait to make any definitive decisions, but we have to have contingency plans. Um, and I thought that was recognized. But I, it, what's going on now just makes it seem like they, they got called off guard by this. Are you surprised you had to adjust the season? <laughs> I mean, we all knew that was a possibility, even those of us that, you know, believe that there's no reason why you can't at least attempt to play a college football season this year and that there's no, you know, moral issues with playing like Randy Etzel from Connecticut decided to throw on all of us yesterday. Um, you know, even coming from somebody like me, I knew that there would be adjustments. Um, I knew there was a chance, you know, you'd go just conference or you'd go regional or you'd, you'd come up with some plan. And it's disappointing to me deeply you know because i know this isn't coming from the tv folks the tv folks want a season and and they're working with the acc and acc network just as much as they're working with uh the sec um it's not coming from the tv folks it's coming from birmingham um you know that seems like they either got caught with their pants down or they can't make up their mind all of this scheduling stuff should have been debated previously all of the scheduling stuff should have been decided previously. There should have been votes on models previously, and they should have been ready to go with their backup plan once they decided the overall structure of the season. Um, and, and, and it's it's unfair. And you know, like you're like, well, JC, you're you know, you're a podcast host and a website owner, and you you, you need the content or whatever. Uh, and that's true to a certain extent. I mean, don't get me wrong. I, I want the schedule to be released. So we can talk about it and break it down and all that. But I also think that, you know, based on, you know, like I said, Will Muschamp said yesterday, the players, it's not fair to the players. It's not fair to the coaches. It's not fair to the administrators who can't plan because they don't know what the hell they're going to be doing. It's not fair to the TV folks I mentioned because they can't kind of get a plan going. Um, and I think that it creates a lot of anxiety and, and the fans, the ones that loyally support and make SEC football, the multi-billion dollar industry it is, um, they deserve better. I mean, you know, uh, the loyal, passionate fans of the SEC deserve to know before other conferences who their teams are playing. Um, and I just don't think Greg Sankey gets that. I'm disappointed. I thought for sure, surely you've been talking about this. Surely you've been nailing details down. Surely you've been moving games behind the scenes. Surely you know what's going to happen uh, if you have to pull the plug on the non-conference. Surely you know this. And it's like they got to the point, they're like, oh, 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 okay, just conference only. Well, give us a week 
to figure all this out. Now, it could be that uh, as we do get in the Southeastern Conference from time to time, there's massive disagreement over how the schedule looks. And that sucks, too, because I think they sometimes let certain schools dictate delays and, and, and go back and forth and all that good stuff. Um, it's a lot like, you know, anything where you've got a lot of players with a lot of, you know, and when I say players, I mean, you know, from a business standpoint, with a lot at stake. Uh, I'm sure the Florida Gators looked at, uh, you know, Scott Strickland, their athletic director, looked at the fact they may get Bama and A&M, and they just, Whoa! you know, because they think it's their year. And, and all that, to me, I think is a little bit silly because it, it's like sometimes these teams that, 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 that seem like they've got an easy path, I'll use Missouri last year as an example, you know, we, we get to the season – and things are going well, and then we find out, oh well, yeah, they lost to Vanderbilt. <laughs> oh well, you know they're not they're they're six and six. They're not very good. Um, so it didn't matter what their path, what Missouri's path was last year. And yeah, I know they beat the Gamecocks, and that's a discussion that we'll have a different time. But you know, I, I think sometimes you look at that. I think sometimes you look at schedules before the season's played and go, man, that's a bear. I know from a Gamecocks perspective, twenty seventeen to me was on paper heading into that year, if you remember, a tough schedule. You know, nobody knew someone was getting fired at A&M or Brett Bielema was getting fired at Arkansas, and you, you had to play Arkansas right after playing, you know, a spread team in Louisiana Tech, which gave Gamecocks a game. And, you know, you had Kentucky and, you know, early in the open, uh, two games on the road away from home, NC State and Charlotte and at Missouri – you know, Tennessee was on the road. Georgia was on the road. Florida came in. Clemson came in. You know, but it all added up to where, you know, Florida, the bottom dropped out at Florida. The Gamecocks survived at Tennessee against a bad Vols team. They beat the crap out of Arkansas, you know, beat Vandy, um, and, and were able to, to scratch together nine wins. Um, and that schedule heading into the season, I said, well, they they, they – if they get back to a bowl, that'd be a good thing in year two. You know, you flip it around, you know, last year's schedule was supposed to be the toughest in the country, and I think it was tough, but, you know, should, should they have lost by 20 to Missouri and 20 to Tennessee and to North Carolina and to App State? You know, those are four games that you don't really pencil the Gamecocks in to lose. You know, you're six. Muschamp was six and zero against Missouri and Tennessee heading into the season. Gamecocks hadn't lost to a team from North Carolina since '99. You know, you take those odds heading into last year with their best team, even if even if you knew Jake Bentley was getting hurt. I know some of you out there, if you probably thought they'd get better once Jake got hurt because you know you don't like Jake Bentley, which you know I'm not getting into that. You guys know how I feel on that subject, you know, so, so scheduling is interesting. And, and I, I, you know, I'm, I'm sitting here, it's 9.55 a.m. Eastern time, 8.55 Central, we'll say Central since, you know, uh, Birmingham is in Central time. And I'm just, as the, as the hours tick by and we hear nothing, I just continue to, to sit there and, and be astonished that the greatest athletic conference in all of college athletics and it is. Even with football drives it, 
But you look at the other sports, you look at women's basketball, you look at baseball. I know men's basketball kind of gets a, a raw deal, but I do think that, you know, that's a good, very good men's basketball conference. But you look at baseball, women's basketball, women's soccer, softball. You know, you look at track and field. Look across the board at the SEC. It's the greatest athletic conference in the country. And they make, you know, about as much money as the Big Ten does, and they'll probably pass the Big Ten once they get their new football game of the week TV deal signed and delivered with Disney and ESPN. But, I mean, you, you just kind of shrug your shoulders. I mean, you know, and, and these poor fans, you know, that that pay out the wazoo to support their teams and their schools and their coaches and players, you know, they're just in their own man, you know, and, and, and I think during a time like now in our society, you know, you have to be aware of things that you're doing maybe unintentionally that cause anxiety. You can't just follow the same playbook. Oh, well, we're going to wait and release it on SEC Network and drive numbers. Well, I mean, yeah, is that fair? I don't know. Are, are you kind of, you know, being fair to your customers who've worried to death they're not going to have a season and they've been cooped up and locked down and been through so much? You know, is it fair to really play that game? I don't know. I guess it is. I mean, you know, I mean, and I don't know that they're going to announce it on TV. I, I wouldn't. I would just release the thing and let everybody start talking about it. Get, you know, let's, let's line up some coaches for fine bomb, <laughs> you know, and let, let's start addressing the schedule. Um, because I, I think the longer this goes, the more it just makes the league look completely incompetent. Now still, you know, gut feeling says, you know, because we've talked about all these different models and all that. Somebody was talking the other day about, well, what happens if, you know, they they do away with the permanent opponents this year and they just kind of, you know, shake it up even more. And I still know that they're going to do that. Um, I'm sure that's probably one of the models. Uh, I think that, uh, you know, looking at these things over time, usually it's like the first thing, you know, you, you say, well, this is probably what's going to happen. And then there's 18 different other scenarios that could happen. And that's fun to speculate on. And then it ends up being what you thought would happen. And so for that reason, I think the game cost was good at Arkansas and Auburn. But you never know. I mean, you never know. And, and honest to God, the longer it goes, the more I kind of expect something that's a little more radical, that maybe has a little more meat on the bone. You know, I think that if they come out and say, yeah, we're just going to play the next two rotating teams, then well, why the hell couldn't you do that last week? You know, why did it take all this debate and discussion? Or is, is Florida – did Florida filibuster the vote? I mean, what, 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 what's going on? And I look, I don't – Florida Florida has a point, you know, and because they're assuming that, you know, they're going to challenge Georgia in the East and, and they're assuming they got a favorable schedule. And, oh, Georgia's got Bama and Auburn from the other division. They could lose some. And, you know, I, I don't think – I think Florida had Ole Miss and LSU. I mean, you know, LSU's got the, a lot of parts to reload or whatever. And I think – because that, 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 that series has gotten off kilter because of the hurricane reschedule a couple of years ago. But I do think it goes back to the swamp this year. Um, but, 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 hey, look, I mean, you know, you, you add a and I mean, you know, Auburn has to play Alabama, Texas A&M, LSU every single season. 
<laughs> and uh, you know, they're they're not complaining. I think they and I think they I think they would take, you know, even with you know, L and Georgia, they play Georgia too. So they play those four teams every single season. Alabama, Georgia, Texas A&M, LSU. Um, I think that even with playing those four teams, they would probably trade places with the Gators in terms of, of scheduling to play some East opponents down on the Plains. You know, maybe not have to play the Mississippis, which are tricky for Auburn. And, you know, Arkansas right now is down, obviously. But uh, in years past, they've jumped up and bitten the Tigers. So, I, I you know. I don't know that Florida has much of a gripe and they're the one team that was like astonished that <laughs> that would happen. And Hey, look, supposed to be your best team. Go win. You know, I don't think Steve Spurrier would be complaining. I think he'd be like, well, it's, you know, we just play who they give us. So I, I doubt Dan Mullen will either, but uh, you know, that, that's, uh, and that's speculation that Florida's holding up the process. I don't know that for sure, but I just, you know, I'm, I'm just like, <sighs> Come on, man. You know, this is not a normal time where you can just do your normal thing. And you look like, as days pass on, clowns. Because people are wondering, did you not prepare for this? Did you not do anything behind the scenes as a contingency plan? Were you? Because I didn't think they were dead serious about, we're planning on playing the season is scheduled. I'm like, (laughs) There's no way you're going to do that. I mean, there's going to be some kind of adjustment, I think, that will have to be made. And even if you believe that in, like, May, you know, you kind of look at the virus numbers and how they've hit some of your states. and Obviously, you know that's an issue because you push the season back. I mean, why, why weren't you working around the clock on scheduling? And if you were... Why is this process such so cumbersome? Why wasn't all this settled a long time ago? You know, that, that's my question. I'm like, what, what the hell, you know? So anyway, that's scheduling. A lot of news and notes today. All right. I'm going to say two more things about Luke Doty and his working out at wide receiver. You know, Muschamp talked about the need to get him on the field. I, I continue to think that, you know, this is a non – off, this is an off-season topic that everybody's latching on to because people are bored. It's, and it's, it's a quarterback, and quarterbacks are always going to get, you know, a lot of attention. It's a highly rated quarterback prospect. Those are always going to get a lot of attention. Um, and I understand, you know, the people are – he should or he shouldn't. I understand both sides. Uh, and here's the bottom line. It is neither a brilliant move nor a catastrophic indicting move of the coaching staff uh, unless one thing happens, and that means it's a middling kind of deal. In other words, you know, he goes out there, doesn't redshirt, spends all season at receiver and catches 10 passes and doesn't play a whole lot. You know, to me – Maybe he should have, you know, maybe that's kind of a wasted year because, you you know, you lose a year of quarterback down the road. You know, somebody on the team somewhere should have caught, been able to catch 10 passes. So I think all the naysayers about it will be validated if that's the case. I mean, and I think that's the only way uh, it ends up being a bad move. 
Um, and certainly people are entitled to their opinion. I, I know the optics are like, you know, cause people just read headlines. They don't read details. It's like, Oh, Doty moved to receiver. Eh, kind of not really working there. Still working at quarterback. Um, and, you know, so it causes this big story. I, you know, so, so I don't know this. That, that, that's one is, you know, it's only a failure if it's like a mediocre move, like a medium ranged, like put your foot halfway in the water, don't jump in the pool. You know, you hear you got one water wing on, whatever. Whatever analogy you want to use, folks. Uh, it, it, that's that's to me where, no, this was a, this was a mistake. Shouldn't have done it. You know, I, I think if he's going to play receiver this year, he needs to be a major contributor, you know, 25 receptions at the least, uh, a guy that's maybe your second or third guy, you know, makes plays, helps you win games, that kind of thing. Um, not He doesn't have to be a superstar, but, you know, helps you win games. Uh, that's That's kind of a must, you know, for that. Other two points I made, I made one on the big spurt. I may write an article about this, just kind of summing it up, because not everybody listens to the podcast. Um, you know, we're in the middle of this pandemic, this COVID thing. You've seen the testing deal. You've seen how much it spreads, how quickly it spreads. You know, there's a chance you're going along in a season – and five of your wide receivers test positive and have to sit. But you still got to go play the game. I'm not in favor of coaches because they're hurting because some of their starters are out with the pandemic. You know, if you can put players on the field, you need to go play the game. If you're Alabama, you need to go test your depth a little bit. You know, if you're Georgia, you need to test that depth. You know, it's, it's, it's not going to be fair – if coaches are wanting to withdraw because, oh, a lot of starters are out. Well, you have reserves. That sounds like Edward the Longshanks from Braveheart. We have reserves. Messiah, we'll hit our own men. Well, we have reserves. But, no, it's true. If everybody's going to go play this year, people need to play, unless you're you know, enti- unless it's not safe, unless there's an unsafe number. In other words – you know, you're down so many players that, you know, if you put your guys out there that you have left for the whole game, you know, there's a good chance they'll get hurt or injured because of fatigue, and you don't want that. But, uh, you know, it's going to have to be a significant amount of the roster. So that being said, you know, I would probably try to cross-train as many guys as I could just in case there's an emergency situation, you know. And I am not reporting. This is my opinion. I'm not reporting that that's why. Obviously, Muschamp says nothing about that. He more talked about Doty being a great athlete. But I would definitely cross-train some folks. And I think that most schools will. Uh, You know, you may not hear about it, but you you do have to have, just like you have an emergency quarterback, you have to have some emergency solutions at some of these positions. Um, You know, because like I said, there are a lot of wide receivers on the roster, but – you know, the virus can take out seven of them quickly, and then there's not. So so that's one thought on it. My other thought on it is this, and a lot of people don't understand this because they're like, well, if he spends this year at receiver, it'll take away from his quarterback development. Good point, but not necessarily true. And I'll tell you this, the third-team quarterback 
And that's where he was slated to be because I'm telling you, Colin Hill and Ryan Helinski are going to battle this thing out. Um, the third team quarterback, once the season starts, they start game prepping and all that, and they break camp, doesn't do anything. Very few reps in practice, if at all, usually not. A lot of times they're running the scout team. You know, they do, you know, we've heard about the young guys scrimmage they have on Sunday, Monday nights or whatever. They participate in that. You know, you, they do travel, but, you know, emergency quarterback, but they don't rep. Jake Bentley um, did not rep with the first team uh, even even the week of the open date before he took over against UMass, um, which may speak volumes about Kurt Roper and that decision, but he didn't rep until the week of the game, the week of the UMass game. So the guy had what twelve, you know, six six practices before he went and beat Tennessee, which is amazing, you know, for that. So your third teamer just does not does not rep. So if Doty's the third teamer and that's what he's supposed to be, you know, and this is why Joyner went to receiver last year because you, you at the time you had Bentley and, and you, then you had Helensky and, and then like Joyner wasn't going to rep a quarterback, you know, and that's why that's one of the reasons they moved him because he, you know, he, it's not like he's sitting there running the third team at practice and, getting the reps with like the, the specific game plan reps and stuff like that. So oh, you moved him over. So, so the same thing is applicable as of right now with Doty. And it also means what's unfortunate about it is that let's that this is going to be the, the worst case is if, you know, Colin Hill or Ryan Alinsky gets hurt. You need a backup quarterback. Doty's one of your top receivers and you have to move him back to be number two to sit on the bench. I don't know. I don't know if that'll exactly happen, so we'll see. But but those are some things to consider about that subject. Number one, nothing wrong with cross-training people in the climate we're in. Number two, the third-string quarterback during the season does nothing. So you're basically missing nothing in practice by playing receiver. You know, And you can still do the quarterback things you do off the field on your own, learning the spot. And quite frankly, playing receiver kind of helps you get another perspective of it. You know, and and, and so that's my point. And I'm not a big dote eater. Yeah, let's do it. Oh, it's going to be great. He's going to catch 70 balls. I, I, I have some skepticism about the move, but I do think the only, re, only way it's a failed move and a bad move and a reason to kind of panic or question um is uh is if it's a middling thing if if he just we've seen guys do this they go to another position everybody's like oh yeah you know and then they kind of just don't do much and you're just kind of sitting there you know because at that point I think you'd be better off being the third team quarterback and you know doing whatever I don't know so you know I I would hope that if Doty is a guy that plays mostly receiver this year that you know he's legit. And he is a legit athlete, and he has played the spot before. So we'll see. But um, it makes no sense to move him there if he's not going to play. And you're not going to do everything you can to get him ready to play, unlike, in my opinion, and I don't know, maybe they did, maybe it just, maybe he just didn't get it. But with Xavier Leggett last year, I'd, 
the minute I saw him do what he did in fall camp, I'd have been like, we got to get this guy ready. You know, even if it's like by game four, like Spurrier Jr. did with Alshon. Jamar Brown, linebacker, who was I thought he was probably going to be a starter in the three linebacker set this year. He's moved to safety, and then he plays the dime, which is when when they go to dime coverage. That's kind of the roving linebacker spot. Um, I you know, Brown is not a huge linebacker, uh, but he's fast and he's he's very physical. And uh, he's got good ball skills. And if he can solidify this, this is another one of those things, you know, if, if he can go back there and help the back end of the defense, which, good Lord, needs all the help it can get um, and has been, you know, lacking depth for years, I'm all for it. I'm kind of intrigued by it. And if you start thinking about it in terms of a two deep, you know, I would – my preference, and again, this is my opinion, this is not – coming from anywhere i would hope that robinson and brown are your two starting safeties you know because i you know you move him back there i think you move him back there to start because i think you can start at linebacker too um and then you do have rj Roderick and and you do have jalen dickerson and competition makes everybody better and moving brown back there i think makes everybody better uh, you know, you don't have to be pressured as much to slide Izzy over to safety, which the more I think about, you know, at first during last season, I was like, he's a safety. He probably should slide over. But the more I think about it, the more I don't, I don't know if he's a safety. I mean, he may just be a, a, a corner that, you know, does some amazing things and then sometimes doesn't, you know, cause I, I don't know how physical he is. Safety's got, a ton to do in run support. I just don't, I don't, you know, tackling. I, I don't know. I don't know. JC Horn, different story. Probably could be a all American type safety. Uh, you know, so, so I think that, you know, Jamar Brown does well there. That kind of alleviates that pressure. You know, you got some freshmen back there that can provide depth. O'Donnell, I think O'Donnell, O'Donnell fortune went to corner and then Dominic Hill, is it safety? Um, Hill could be that free safety type. Hill's kind of like Jalen Dickerson, you know, athletic-wise, I would think, comparing the two coming out of high school. Um, so we'll see. We'll see what happens there. Th- that's a good move, in my opinion. Um, Jordan Rhodes, that, that's highest profile casualty opting out-wise for the Gamecocks to date. He's opting out this season. Mark Fox is opting out this season. I'll tell you this, guys. You know, big guys, you know, when you think about it, I want you to think about COVID and kind of how it affects people. Sometimes this this thing can jump on big guys and gals, and and it really causes them problems. Um, And so I, I understand, you know, these guys. And, and, you know, you don't know what their family medical history is and all that. South Carolina is really not the type that releases that type of stuff. Um, so I get it. So, so Mark Fox was a redshirt freshman coming into this year who was probably going to be a backup depth guy, still has a bright future. He's from Miami Northwestern. Going to go back to Miami and chill out. You know, these guys are going back to Miami and Atlanta. Um, and then Rhodes was a starter last year, and, and I think a lot of the prevailing thought was – 
before the pandemic hit that, you know, they were going to try to move Joe Von Gwynn to center and then have an interior of Sidarius Hutcherson, Joe Von Gwynn, and Jordan Rhodes since Jordan started last year and played pretty well. Well, now he's out. So what I think this does is this keeps Joe Von Gwynn at guard, which is fine. And, you know, the most, you know, controversial two games only in Charlotte Center to ever start a game at Carolina, Hank Manos, uh, is going to battle it out with Vinnie Murphy, a redshirt freshman from St. Thomas Aquinas in Florida, you know, for that job. Here's the thing with Manos. I think the two games he's played have left a lot to be desired. I don't care what anybody says. Um, you know, I, 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 I think that those were, you know, games that were poor. Uh, I think he was a liability against North Carolina. Um, I think he probably wasn't ready to start Virginia. Uh, and I think he actually played performance-wise better against Virginia than he did against North Carolina. Uh, and that's just a fact. That's not trying to to run him down. I, I think he's a guy that was a legitimate top center recruit. Uh, I think he's a legitimate football player. I just think that some guys need time. They need reps. They need game action. Because obviously he practices very well. Um, and they need game action to get better. And, you know, because they lost to North Carolina and you had Donnell Stanley sitting over there, you know, it made all the sense in the world to move him back over. Then Manos got hurt and never, you know, never kind of, you know, contended for a job again. But, you know, I think he needs a game action before we can really tell, you know, if he's going to be a guy that's going to be a starting center or maybe a guy that's uh, a backup. You know, I know that they like Vincent Murphy a lot. I know I like Vincent Murphy a lot. You know, we'll see if he can compete for the job. You know, there's other options there. You, you know, Trey Jones, who may end up being better than any of these guys. <laughs> Already up to 295, true freshman from Abbeville. Don't know that you need a true freshman starting at center. But maybe, you know, down the road, if, if things aren't working, you can slide Jovan to center like you wanted to and put Jones in at guard if he's ready. I don't know. That's That's – that's getting way ahead of myself on the offensive line. You know, so so once again, I think this becomes a concern. Now, you do have two really good big-body ta- second-year guys that, that are your backup tackles in Ja'Kai Moore and Jalen Nichols. Uh, you, could, you could slide the – if you still want to move Gwen to center, you can slide one of those guys in. I think I – think, I'm kind of intrigued by Jalen Nichols at right guard or Jekai Moore at right guard, to be honest. I don't know. Wow, those guys. I think those guys are going to be really good. Jalen Nichols played his ass off last year as a true freshman. He ended up getting hurt, you know. Uh, but filling in for Dylan Wanham, I mean, that, you know, don't, people don't think about it. He was on the field during the Georgia game. He's the, you know. So, um Bright futures for both those guys. So if you've got to move those one of those guys in, I don't know. It's, it's interesting on the O line. Um, good news is that I think a couple of years ago, if you'd had a starter and a guy that was maybe going to be in the two deep go out, you know that hurts. That would hurt because you didn't have a lot of depth. But now there's enough depth, I think, to kind of make it not so bad. I mean, I'm not I'm not going to sit here and spin it and say, ah, they didn't need Jordan Rhodes. 
No, nah, they needed Jordan Rhodes. And I think they needed Mark Fox, too. But, you know, much respect for those guys for making that decision. They're going to stay on scholarship. I think they'll be back. Uh, I think Rhodes definitely will be back. Rhodes, has a, Rhodes could end up in the NFL if he continued his trajectory. So I'm sure he'll be back. You know, Fox is such a young player. You know, we'll see what happens there. Um, you know, I, I, on my notes here, I've got it written down twice. Where the hell is the schedule? <laughs> um, another thing Muschamp talked about that kind of reinforced what I've been reporting for a while, Tony Morrell has been reporting for a while, there is a definite quarterback battle. Colin Hill, you know, you read some message board posts here and there. He's not even healthy. He's not even been cleared. Now, he's, he's cleared and he's been cleared. And Muschamp said that yesterday. Um, and he's chunking it around good. And it's Ryan's throwing it well, too. So we've, we're going to have a battle on our hands, and it's not out. You know, it, it may even be likely that Colin Hill's the starter. And it really doesn't have a lot to do with, oh, he's Bobo's guy or whatever. That they, they think he's really good. And he's a taller guy with arm talent, you know. Uh, the knees are an issue. You worry about that which is why you got to get Holinsky ready regardless um, if, if Hill wins the job or not. So it's a legit quarterback battle. I, You know, to me, this is the first time in a long time where we've really had a battle. I mean, I guess in 2016 you had the Perry Orth versus McIlwain deal. But I think, I think anybody that's kind of followed Kurt Roper and Will Muschamp knew probably Orth was going to get the start. You're not going to throw a true freshman out there unless he's good. And looking back on that in hindsight, probably should have started Jake Bentley from the beginning. <laughs> you know, probably should have redshirted McIlwain and, you know, let Orth be the backup. Jake got in trouble or whatever. But, you know, hindsight is 2020. Uh, and Jake was awfully young. So that was the last real battle I think we had. Uh, you know, before that, I mean, 2015. You had Orth and Connor Mitch going at it, and Connor Mitch led the Gamecocks to that win over North Carolina, and then after that, it was just uh, whew, not good. And um, and really wasn't all that good in that game, but um, Orth ended up taking over and being the better choice. This is really the last time we've had a battle. You know, I think Dylan Thompson made Connor Shaw better. Uh, and vice versa, and their competition, I think, led to the ascension of Dylan Thompson uh, to be the starter in his last year and to really help the Gamecocks win games for three or four years, three years. Uh, you know, but that was that really a battle? I don't know. Um, you know, I know in 2011, you know, Spurrier had Garcia and Connor go at it. I think he started Connor Shaw to send a message. <laughs> Garcia takes back over. Then Shaw took back over. And it was just, uh, you know, was that really a battle? So, so I, you know, I'm, I'm going back, you know, and trying to think, when's the last time they've had like a, a battle battle, you know? I mean, Chris Smelly, Tommy Beecher, I don't know. I just don't know during the Spurrier era that there was ever, except for that 2015 team his last one, was there ever really a battle? You know, I think he named Blake Mitchell the starter when he, you know, a month after he was into spring practice when he got to Carolina. 
I am named Blake Mitchell, the starting quarterback. Um, Got to go back maybe to the Holtz era where Dondriel, Pinkins, and Savelle Newton were battling, and they never really decided any of that. I guess. I don't know. But this is a battle. Colin Hill, Ryan Holinsky. Um, I think it makes everybody better, but it's definitely one of those. And, you know, just keep in mind, I, 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 would, I would like for all of you to forget about the fact Colin Hill went to Colorado State. <laughs> I, I, I just think that when you look at kind of football, how football progresses, this, that, and the other, you, you can't just rule a guy out because he went to a smaller school and then transferred up. Same, I mean, you know, you're not ruling Adam Prentice out at fullback probably because you don't have any fullbacks, but people don't question whether he can play at this level. So um, I would give Colin Hill the benefit of the doubt. Now, if he stinks and he sucks and he's terrible, fine. You know, you're right. SEC was a little bit too rough. But uh, if he, uh, you know, if he plays well, he plays well. And I think he has a chance to. Um, you have to understand, too, that a lot of times guys just are so hungry for an opportunity on a bigger stage, they end up surpassing expectations. You see it in the NFL all the time. Um, and so we'll see. We'll see what happens with the quarterback battle, but it is a battle, and who knows uh, who will get the start on September 26 against, you know, maybe the schedule will be out by the time you guys listen to this, but I have no idea who they're opening with. My gut says it may it may just stay like Missouri, uh, or it could be like Georgia, or it could be a West team. Who knows? Uh, the Big Ten and ACC schedule releases sort of surprised me. It looked like they kind of they kept like one or two dates and then shook everything else up. So we'll see what happens there. Ontario Brown, Ontario, Ontario Brown with an A, committed to the Gamecocks yesterday. Running back out of Savannah Beach. You know, I was told when they were talking about will we take him or not, we need ball players, and so he's a ball player. Uh, and I like him. Very good balance, good footwork, vision. You know, when you kind of look at his upside or whatever, I think at the very least he could be a guy like Kenny Miles, you know, who started some. Maybe he wasn't ideal as, as he wasn't Marcus Lattimore. Uh, started some and uh, had some really good games and helped the Gamecocks win games at times. Um, you know, that's kind of, you know, running style-wise, I don't know if he necessarily reminds me of Kenny Miles. Um, he kind of reminds me of this kid. And, look, bear with me here. We, we, we rated him five stars, but he ended up being a complete bust. Uh, and I'm not saying that Ontario, Ontario's film jumps out at me like this kid's did. His name was Enrique Davis. Signed with Auburn back in the mid-2000s. But they have a similar running style to me. So does that mean that he's going to go bust or he's going to be, you know, he has five-star potential? No, neither one of those things. I'm just trying to kind of – when I think about different backs I've watched over the years running style-wise, Enrique Davis came, comes to mind. Obviously, I loved Enrique Davis. I thought he was one of the best backs. I think I rated him number one in the country which was a terrible mistake, but <laughs> Hey, what are you going to do? You know? So, um, so I think that's it. I think production wise, if you're looking to kind of make a comparison in recent Gamecock history, I think at the very least he can be Kenny miles. 
Uh, if you're looking for kind of a running style comparison with a recruit from uh, yesteryear, Enrique Davis, who was a five-star, but busted big time. So, um, you know, good pickup. Uh, you know, I, I think that one thing that playing in the SEC has proven for all teams is that you need depth at running back. You know, uh, a few years ago, Nick Chubb and Sony Michelle got hurt at Georgia. Um, Alabama's had to go to third, fourth string sometimes. South Carolina, a few years back when, you know, Lattimore got hurt, and you, you ended up with Brandon Wilds, who was fifth before the season as a true freshman. He did pretty good, too. Um, so always good to have depth at running back. I think, you know, they got to continue to build that, and we'll see what happens. All right. That's all the time that we have on Inside the Gamecocks today. I hope you enjoyed this wonderful, wonderful discussion of Gamecock football and athletics and scheduling and all that fun stuff. I hope you folks are staying safe. Be sure to go to the iTunes store, the Apple Pod store. Throw me some five stars. We have some clowns out there that have – and I hate to even mention it because I'll probably go do it again, but I don't care. Uh, Some clowns out there that have uh, decided to rate one star And I understand that. I understand that uh, some people that that do that probably have their own little podcast and they want to kind of blow out everybody else's candle to make their own look brighter. But, hey, I love you anyway. I I support other podcasts on on this one. It's not a – I think there's enough content to go around. So, anyway, you want to be a hater, be a hater. But those of you that aren't, help me out because that does impact – search and downloads and placement and things like that, you know, and I know haters are going to hate. Also, don't forget JC and Morgan, um, which never had a negative review until recently and now has like a bunch. So I'm assuming that the hater brigade has found that out, you know, discovered that and started downvoting that as well. We had a really good talk. Mike and I earlier this week about kind of the state of college football, big picture stuff. Um, and then there's interviews with Phil Steele, Chris Doring, uh, Cole Kubelik, um, lots of folks uh, on the JC and Morgan college football podcast. It's, it's weekly, sometimes bi-weekly or sometimes, you know, bi-monthly uh, during the slow time, but um, certainly is a good listen. So, so be sure to check that out. I want to thank all of you for joining us here on the Inside the Game Guys podcast. And I hope you have a great day and we'll holler at you soon.